Is it a sin? Is it a crime? Loving you dear like I do. If it's a crime, then I'm guilty. Guilty of loving you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 42, I think, of Criminal Broads, a true crime and history podcast about wild women who have ended up on the wrong side of the law. How are you? Are any of you like me in this big storm with snow everywhere in your life? I took my baby sledding today twice for the first time, the first two times, and he loved it. And babies being pulled around on sleds going like down very mild hills is a very cute sight, as I'm sure you can imagine. If you're new here, I'd like to say welcome. Have a seat. There's cookies and coffee in the back. If you're old here, I'm sorry for calling you old. And (laughs) if you like the podcast, you can support it on Patreon, patreon.com slash criminal broads. There's a $1 level. There's a $3 level. It's all very low key. If you listened to last week's episode about the wild run of Marie Dean Arrington, you probably heard me talk about how I'm starting to become a little more aware of and enraged about over-sentencing, like just people getting really long sentences for crimes that don't seem to deserve that. And today's episode, my friends, is a really jarring example of that. What I'm about to say might offend a lot of people, um, but just like last week's episode, today's episode is set in Florida, and Florida seems to have an over-sentencing problem. I'm sorry, Florida listeners, but I think you all probably know this about your state. There's a real over-sentencing issue happening there, which I get into in the podcast, and also there's an over-sentencing issue happening in the entire United States, which I guess I will we'll talk about more later. Please, if you are enjoying the story, listen to the end, listen to the conclusion when this Tory, chatty Tory, pops back on because I have a big surprise for you, a big announcement. And um, I think that's it. So let's see. Let me tell you time and place. I've already told you Florida. And this is a modern episode. We are going back to the year 2007 and we are going to start in a very surprising situation. Let's get into it. The whole thing seemed kind of silly, if you didn't look too closely. Here was a girl on national TV who couldn't stop hiccuping. Her hiccups were short and high-pitched. It was kind of cute, right? She was only 15, she didn't come from money, and now she was being flown all over the country to appear on every talk show imaginable. She was being put up in fancy hotels and given expensive manicures. She was experiencing that very specific sliver of the American dream, 15 minutes of fame. Andy Warhol was the one who came up with that 15 minutes of fame idea in the 1960s. But if you looked closer at the girl with the hiccups, you'd see that the swirl of attention around her looked like something else, something much older, the freak show. Freak shows captured America's imagination for a good 100 years, from the 1840s to the 1940s. In them, anyone who seemed different or strange was put on display so that everyone else could gather around them and stare and think, thank God that's not me. 
sure the talk show hosts expressed sympathy for the hiccuping girl. But if you listened closely, you could hear the carnival barkers in the background. Come and see the hiccup girl hiccuping 50 times a minute. What an oddity. What a curiosity. Here she is in the flesh for your viewing pleasure. The hiccups started in science class. 15-year-old Jennifer Mee, a white girl from St. Petersburg, Florida, was sitting in science class on January 23, 2007, when she hiccuped. And then she hiccuped again. She sat there in class, hiccuping, for 15 minutes, and then she stood up to go to her high school's medical clinic. She stayed at the clinic for five hours, but no one could stop the hiccups, so she went home. There was no privacy at home. Jennifer had four younger sisters, a stepfather on disability, an unemployed uncle who was crashing on their couch, and a mom who supported the entire family by working the early shift at a local Denny's. They were all crammed into a two-bedroom house, a two-bedroom house that was now filled, inexplicably, with the sound of hiccups that wouldn't stop. The hiccups were coming almost every second, about 50 hiccups per minute. Jennifer's mom, Rachel, thought that they sounded like a chihuahua barking. Jennifer was completely and thoroughly freaked out by what was happening to her. She tried every home remedy she could think of, holding her breath, drinking water in various complicated ways, eating spoonfuls of sugar, eating peanut butter. If she went out shopping, strangers would jump out at her in the aisles of Walmart, thinking that they'd scare her hiccups away. She stopped going to school. She went to a pediatrician. She went to a neurologist. She went to a cardiologist. She had her blood drawn and her brain scanned, but she couldn't stop hiccuping. Her chest was starting to hurt, and so were her hips. She couldn't eat regular food anymore, so she switched to soft foods like jello and applesauce, which she'd gulp down in between hiccups. She couldn't sleep unless she took Valium or Benadryl. A curse of the hiccups, her mom called it. Jennifer told her mom that she was afraid no one would ever want to marry her now. She started thinking about jumping off a bridge. So finally, desperate, her mother did something that seemed like a good idea at the time. She called the newspaper. Rachel called the St. Petersburg Times and told them about her daughter, thinking that maybe one of the paper's readers could suggest a cure. A journalist named Mary Jane Park showed up and wrote a story with the headline, Just Hick, Make, Hick, Them, Hick, Stop. According to Mary Jane, the sound of Jennifer's hiccups was like the beeping made by a smoke alarm with a dying battery. In a way, Rachel's instincts had been right, because the newspaper was immediately flooded with thousands of emails and phone calls suggesting various cures for Jennifer. Sugar under the tongue, grapefruit juice pickle juice. But now that Jennifer's story was out there, in the public eye, a new and insidious force entered her life. Fame. The old circus freak shows might not technically exist in America anymore, but we have our modern versions. The talk shows. 
There were the openly trashy talk shows that started in the 80s and 90s, like Geraldo, Maury, and Jerry Springer, in which guests would scream at each other about affairs and paternity tests. Today's talk shows seem a lot cleaner, a lot nicer. There's the Ellen DeGeneres show, which uses be kind as a motto. There's Good Morning America, which bills itself cheerfully as your source for useful news and inspiration on how to live your best life. But even these shows have their seedier sides. They would never call someone a freak. But if they sniff out someone who seems, shall we say, different and interesting, they will go after that person like a pack of rabid dogs. In the 1800s, people with rare medical conditions were given freak show nicknames like Camel Girl or The Human Owl. In 2007, the media called Jennifer Hiccup Girl. The attention was intoxicating and sometimes fun, but also overwhelming and exhausting and bizarre. The Today Show flew Jennifer and her mom to New York and dazzled them by picking up the tab for anything they wanted. A manicure for Jennifer, a load of hotel laundry that cost $257. But while Jennifer was in New York for that interview, Good Morning America began harassing her. Their producers called her home back in Florida 57 times in one day. They stalked Jennifer until they found her hotel room, and then they slipped notes under her door— It got so bad that the Today Show actually moved Jennifer and Rachel to a different hotel. When daughter and mother arrived back home, there were more interview requests waiting. Papers covered Jennifer's every move. Cameras followed her to her doctor's appointments. Jennifer signed autographs, got free stuff, had actual fans. It was addictive, but there was a dark side to her fame. People would comment on YouTube videos of her calling her a slut or suggesting that she cure her hiccups by doing various sex acts. Jennifer would see these comments, and they disturbed her. We went to the media for one reason only, but now I just feel like she is being used, said her stepfather. She is not for sale. She is a human being. Through all the attention, Jennifer was still hiccuping. She had a phone call with a faith healer. She tried acupuncture. She went to a hypnotist who cured her for a few days, but then the hiccups came back so intensely that Jennifer had to go to the emergency room. When the hiccups subsided again, Jennifer was ecstatic at the thought that she could finally go back to school, and so she bought herself a new outfit and got a very special manicure, with one letter on each of her fingernails spelling out, Hiccup Girl. When she arrived back at school, her classmates cheered. The next day during an earth sciences class, her nose started bleeding, and the hiccups came back. Eventually, with the help of medication, the hiccups mostly faded away, though they'd come back in spurts. And Jennifer's 15 minutes of fame faded away too, sort of. But she'd gotten in the habit of getting strangers' phone numbers and accepting strangers' friend requests on social media. Everyone wanted to chat with Hiccup Girl. Some of her conversations with these strangers were explicit, and when her parents found out and tried to take away her phone, Jennifer ran away from home for a day. Of course, the papers reported on this. Once the freak shows learn about you, they keep an eye on you. Forever. 
though Jennifer was back in school and off the talk shows, her life would never be normal again. She was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome, and Tourette's was thought to be the source of her hiccups. Her medication came with terrible side effects, nausea, hallucinations, and thoughts of suicide. If she didn't take her medication, she'd have seizures. It was impossible to get through high school. When she was 17, she was at school taking a standardized test when she started hiccuping again. She was asked to leave. That same year, she was placed in a psychiatric hospital for a while. Her mother declared that she was functioning, quote, on the level of a 12- or 13-year-old. She never went back to school after that. Instead, she started to drift farther and farther away from her family. She followed whatever other people wanted her to follow, one of her sisters said. At 18, she ran away from home again for a day and eventually moved out altogether to live in poverty with her boyfriend, a guy named Reginald Lee Jr. She was doing drugs, selling drugs. Her parents were pretty sure that Reginald was abusing her. They could see bruises and bite marks on her body, but she explained them all away. Then Reginald was arrested for assaulting another woman. He had grabbed her by the neck, forced her down a set of stairs, and hit her in the face. And Jennifer began dating someone else. There was the Jennifer that her family knew and loved, and then there was the other Jennifer, the Jennifer who posted on MySpace and acted dangerous around her friends. She was much different when she was around us, said another sister. But when she was with her friends or her partner, she was just a completely different person. She just acted all big and bad and just tried to stick out. Jennifer's MySpace page said that she lived in St. Pistol, Florida, instead of St. Petersburg, and her status read, making so much money, IDK, what to do with it? She was showing off, bragging, lying, trying to act more badass than she actually was, In other words, she was a pretty typical teenager. Except she had this strange past. Her mother said that the fame had changed her. Before that happened, she was a completely different little girl, said her mother. Once she got on TV, she began talking to people on chat sites. It has slowly spiraled to what it has become. Jennifer's new boyfriend was named Lamont Newton, and she lived with him and another young man. Laron Rayford, in St. Petersburg. Neighbors complained that they played their music too loudly. Together, the three of them schemed and plotted. They needed money, and they decided that they needed to rob someone. And since Jennifer was in the habit of chatting with people online anyway, what if she convinced one of them to meet up with her in person? About a week earlier, Jennifer had accepted a friend request from a guy named Shannon Griffin, a former high school football star from Mississippi who was now living in St. Petersburg, working at Walmart and starting to take college classes. He had sent Jennifer a friend request, people think, because he knew her as Hiccup Girl. They started to talk. Jennifer offered to sell him weed, and he agreed to meet up with her, bringing about $50 in cash with him. But he told his cousin, before he left, that he was going on a date. On Saturday, October 23, 2010, at around 10 p.m., Shannon Griffin pulled up on a motor scooter and met Jennifer Mee in front of an empty house. 
Jennifer looked at him. He was strong, she noticed, and very handsome. He had what she called flawless features. She walked him towards the back of the house, and then she left. As she walked away, she had a bad feeling. She felt like she was leaving him, as she said later, to the wolves. But she kept walking away, and Shannon kept walking down the dark little alley that led to the back of the house. It was there, in the darkness, that Laron and Lamont were waiting. The two men attempted to rob Shannon, but Shannon was stronger than they were, and he wasn't willing to go down without a fight. The three of them struggled. Someone lost a shoe. And suddenly, the air was filled with the sound of gunfire. Four shots. Shannon was hit once in the shoulder and three times in the chest. He fell. Laron and Lamont ran off, panicked, leaving behind the murder weapon. Jennifer joined them. They went home and started soaking their blood-splattered clothes in bleach. No one in the neighborhood reported the gunshots, but about an hour later, someone saw what they thought was a sleeping homeless man and called the police. When police showed up, they found Shannon Griffin's body. He was a good kid. He didn't hurt nobody, said Shannon's brother. It just doesn't make any sense for a good kid like that to be murdered for no reason, just to be set up and murdered. He was only 22 years old. A policeman who first arrived on the scene said that Shannon was dressed very nicely, like he was hoping to go on a date. It didn't take long for Jennifer, Laron, and Lamont to be arrested. Witnesses had heard the three of them planning the robbery, and police honed in on them fairly quickly. When Jennifer talked to detectives, she changed her story several times, at one point saying that Shannon Griffin had been killed out of jealousy because he dated one of her friend's ex-girlfriends. But detectives weren't buying it. She was put in jail, where she was held for the next three years as she waited for her trial. For most of that time, she was in isolation, since she was considered a high-profile inmate. And the papers went wild. She is back in the spotlight, wrote the New York Times. Even though everyone agreed that Jennifer hadn't held the gun and hadn't even been there when the gun was fired, she was being tried for first-degree murder. In Florida, if you were involved in a robbery where someone was killed, you could be charged with murder, even if you hadn't killed anyone yourself. Jennifer's trial started in September of 2013. She cried every time the term hiccup girl was used in court. Her defense lawyer brought up her hiccups, her Tourette syndrome, and even said that she suffered from schizophrenia in an attempt to paint her as a more sympathetic figure to the jury. He hadn't managed to broker a plea deal. The prosecution didn't want to consider a plea deal that was any less than 25 years, and so Jennifer's lawyer decided to go to trial instead, which was a decision that would get him criticized later. The prosecutors were holding a damning piece of evidence— Right after Jennifer was arrested, she had called her mom and said, I set everything up. It all went wrong, Mom. It just went downhill. Those words, I set everything up, were the crux of the case against her. She was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. 
Laurent and Lamont, her two co-defendants, were given the same sentence. When Jennifer arrived at prison, a woman looked at her and said, Aren't you the hiccup killer? Florida is known for its brutally long sentences. The state abolished parole for most crimes and requires inmates to serve at least 85% of their sentence. This means that Florida's prisons are packed with people. One inmate called them a human warehouse. Many of the prisons don't have air conditioning. There aren't enough guards. And the overloaded system costs taxpayers at least $2.7 billion a year. In 2020, these conditions had disastrous consequences. One out of every five inmates tested positive for coronavirus, which was the highest infection rate in the United States. The infection rate in Florida prisons was 440% higher than the rate in Florida at large, and the death rate was 164% higher. And still, the state refused to let anyone out of prison. They wouldn't let the elderly out, none of the ill, none of the low-risk prisoners who had only a little bit of time left on their sentence. Everyone had to stay behind bars, whether they'd fired a gun or not. The media found Jennifer in prison. She was being kept in maximum security, since she was still considered a high-profile inmate. In 2015, she spoke with ABC News. She said that being Hiccup Girl had led to her getting involved with the wrong crowd. She said that in the week before the murder happened, she'd been doing all sorts of drugs and hadn't slept for days. She said that she didn't know that Laurent and Lamont were bringing a gun to the robbery. But she didn't claim to be innocent. She said, in fact, that she deserved a sentence of at least 20 years because, quote, somebody's life was taken, somebody's loved one, somebody's child. She just didn't think she deserved a sentence of life. Jennifer also told the interviewer that she had a dark secret in her past. As a young girl living in Vermont before her family moved to Florida, Jennifer said that she had been sexually assaulted. These claims were covered in a book about Jennifer by M. William Phelps called One Breath Away, and Jennifer also spoke about this abuse to the person who runs jmefree.com, which is a website advocating for her release. The year after her ABC interview, Jennifer appeared on the show Killer Women with Piers Morgan. She'd changed up her look by then. Her hair was cut into a bob, and she had a large tattoo on her neck. She told Piers that she couldn't tell him who had given her the tattoo. Piers Morgan asked her how it felt to be called a murderer, and Jennifer responded, I will carry this title for the rest of my life. Piers replied, Well, you'll carry two titles. And the end. Thanks for listening, everyone. What do you think about Jennifer's sentence? Um, does it seem fair to you? Does it seem overdone to you? Overwrought, some might say. I told you in the introduction to this episode that I had big news for you in the conclusion. So here we are in the conclusion. We made it here. And I would like to tell you that I am going to have in some form, in some form or another, Jennifer Me is coming on the podcast. Okay. I'm in touch with uh, the person who runs the website jmefree.com, which is a website 
Just um, basically advocating that Jennifer does not deserve life in prison without the possibility of parole. And this person is in touch with Jennifer. And so we're talking about ways to get her to come on the podcast. There are difficulties because it's prison, because there's a pandemic happening, et cetera, et cetera. I might not be able to actually speak to her on the phone, but we might um, be able to hear from her in some way. So um, if you have any questions you would really like me to ask Jennifer, please email them to me at criminalbroads at gmail.com. Now that I've told you that, I just want to add like a little bit of self-awareness to this. I was kind of hard on the media in this episode. And guys, I'm the media too. I know I'm the media. Um, That's something that I always feel like internally grapple with and sometimes feel weird about. I think the media, capital T, capital M, can be really vicious um, and just really exploitative with these stories sometimes. And I do want to be able to critique that, but just so you know, like, I'm always aware that I, too, am telling these stories on a podcast that has my name attached. Like, I'm not a completely innocent bystander here. So that's weird, and that's something I'm thinking about as I think about talking to Jennifer. Like, she's been interviewed so many times. Who am I to, like, do it again? That being said, Jennifer still has things she wants to say, and... I'm going to ask her about all of this. So I'm just putting this here as a as a convoluted, like, asterisk. <laughs> I feel like I'm always putting asterisks in these episodes, aren't I? <laughs> that you can take or leave. I also would like to thank this week's patrons for making this episode possible. And this week's patrons both have names with the same letter for the first and last name. And as a Tory Telfer, I approve. And I would like to welcome them into a top secret club. This week's patrons are Whitney W. and Susie S. The password to the club is Double Trouble. (laughs) You're all invited into the club. (laughs) Just kidding. And let's see. I actually am not sure who we're going to talk about next week. I have like multiple episodes percolating, multiple interviews percolating. I'm also going to do something about con women at some point because Um, hello, if you've forgotten, my book, Confident Women, which is about con women, comes out February 23rd. So obviously we need to get into that on this podcast. So I can't really tease next week's episode, but I promise you whatever it is, it's going to be interesting. Okay. Thank you as always for being there. Go to Instagram.com slash criminal broads to see photos from today's episode. And I will see you here next Wednesday. And until then, have a lovely time. Goodbye. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, loving you dear like I do. If it's a crime, then I'm guilty, guilty of loving you. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.